one of the great sort of environmental controversies of the late 70s, early 80s uh, was, should we ban these CFCs? Environmental scientists said we absolutely have to, because if we double the amount of ultraviolet radiation coming in through the atmosphere, huge numbers of plants and animals die, it will be a catastrophe. And then industry says, but we need CFCs for your Aquanet, for your hairspray. <laughs> That's, we can't have a bad hair day. Talk about disaster. Welcome to What The If. This is a game show with prizes, actually. Yeah. I just I was about to say no prize, but there are definitely prizes. Definitely prizes. Not $64,000 worth of prizes. But th th there's what, at what price knowledge? Uh, I don't know, $350. <laughs> Well, I went to NYU some time ago, and the price of knowledge was was fairly steep. Yeah, it has only increased since then, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Philip Shane. I'm a documentary filmmaker. I realized last episode I didn't identify myself. No. Officer. So, <laughs> that's me. And you, all, you sir, how do you self-identify? I am a, uh, I don't know, what am I, a science teacher, science writer, professor? All of these things. Dog owner. Right. Congratulations. Thank you. Yep. Got a new puppy. A new puppy. You are also a uh, master of the martial arts. Isn't that right? Uh, technically true. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's not, not related to the puppy in any way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, let's get right to it. This, If you've been here before, you know that this is a show. Matt, how do you describe it? Oh, uh, we um, we we change something about reality or the world or history or ourselves, and then we uh, run with it to see what kind of a new universe we get, and then we learn something along the way. Nothing if not heaps of hubris. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it that way, but yes, that's right. We change things and ask questions later. <laughs> Actually, that's pretty much the whole show. That's kind of actually that is it. Yeah. Look at all the questions we've done. And very often, as often as possible, we actually are running. We, we let's a, a tiny bit of humility here, just a tiny bit, mm -hmm. uh, because it's it's a Monday morning as we record this. We let you, listener, and our wide community of ifers, that's all of you out there saying, what the if? dot, 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 something this were to happen or that were to happen, or I had a dream where this happened. Uh, what, what would the world be like if it was like that? You are welcome and encouraged to submit your ideas. And this week we are featuring a, uh, a wonderful if submitted by a listener, which thereby, if we, if we take your idea and we run with it, as we say, you become a super ifer. You are raised to super ifer status. You're at ifer right now merely by tuning in or, or whatever the podcast version of tuning in is. And this week, 
we have a, su- a suggestion, a question, and if sent in, submitted by Daniel Mundlein. And Daniel, I don't know where you are in the world. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, look that up and find out. Somewhere in the world is a fine chap named Daniel who uses Hotmail, by the way. Oh. Impressive. Impressive. Uh, sur- <laughs> survival uh, of that uh, service. I didn't know that was still around. So that's fantastic. Daniel asks a very intriguing question. And you will help. There's a little bit of an American tilt to this. You'll help us. Maybe you'll explain a little bit. But here's the question. Ah, so one thing we know is Sherlock Holmes that we are. Daniel probably lives in the United States or is an American living somewhere in the world because this is his question. What the if the EPA had never been founded? And this is Daniel's email. Subject, environment, message. What if the EPA had never been founded? Now, that EPA stands for Environmental Protection Agency, a part of the U.S. government. What if the EPA had never been founded? What would it look like with 50 more years of unregulated pollution? Meaning, I, I think what he's saying there is, I guess the EPA was founded 50 years ago. So what if we had had, in the time since, many, many years of unregulated pollution? What would our life expectancy be? Uh. Or would consumers have risen up and maybe there would be way more awareness about the consequences for such choices? So, unfortunately, still a relevant question. Daniel asks, what the if? The Environmental Protection Agency had never been founded. What say ye, sir? The EPA is one of the um, great governmental achievements of our lifetimes, uh, brought to us by by none less than uh, Richard Nixon. Oh. Right? We often forget this. It was old Tricky Dick that brought us um, the EPA. Yes, right? and, and, and without going too deep into politics, it is interesting to note that basically the, what, what is considered very left-wing or liberal now Back mm-hmm. then was less, uh, was more, uh, what do you call it, bipartisan. Yeah, that's right. A lot of things that, I don't know, maybe this is a good reminder of the the swing in American politics over the years, that the Nixon administration almost passed universal health care and almost passed a universal basic income and did pass the EPA. Wow. Um, these are kind of hard things to remember. So, so the EPA comes out of protest. It's, a, it's one of these grassroots movements that uh, sort of provides a model for a lot of, I think, um, activist work today. It was people being unhappy with the air they were breathing and the water that their children was or were drinking. And wanting to do something about that, right? And this is the EPA, like vaccinations and public schools, have been so fantastically successful that we have forgotten what it was like before then, before we had those things. So I think this is a particularly important if to to go think about. So if you're a good place to start, might be if any of you are near the internet right now, 
do a Google image search for Los Angeles smog 1969. (laughs) It used to be that you could not see the mountains from Los Angeles. Which, which, if you know anything, is a little bit of a if in any 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 iconic image of L.A. Mm-hmm. is going to show the uh, city in the foreground, the mountains dancing across the uh, background with the Hollywood sign on the mountains. Then you would see back then you were saying you would see maybe you would see some of the city and then it would just become a haze. Yeah. Just a haze. Um, most Brown. of that haze, that's right. Yeah, it's pr- this brownish green, yellow nastiness. Um, and it, so, like, if you're in LA, the weather report is kind of a joke, right? Because it's the same every day. <laughs> Going to be hot and sunny. And then, uh, but back in the day, there were smog reports in the way that other cities have weather reports not even a word we hear that often now smog that's right nowadays it's that's right it's, it's an antiquated word but it used to so smog as uh was mostly exhaust from cars it used to be that uh the engines the engines in most american cars burned leaded gasoline and as the name suggested there was lead in the lead in the gas and that helped the engine burn more powerfully and more efficiently so that had been a standard for a long things a long time but the exhaust that came out of the car had all kinds of crud in it that was the the side effect of this kind of gas and that crud would just hang in the air and sometimes it would get really thick and that would be called smog so in la some days that smog would get so thick that it was like somebody had laid a blanket down over the city. You couldn't see the tops of buildings. And the word smog, it sounds a bit like a Lord of the Rings character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right. It is exactly. Yeah, that's, I had not thought of that. Yeah. And smog, but it, what is it? Smoke and fog? Uh, smoke and fog. I believe that's right. Let me see if there's a, um, a formal... Yeah, smoke fog. It's good. Sorry. So it's a portmanteau, a, a, a word put together from two other words of, of smoke and fog. Right. And it's, uh, uh, and then there's, so it's not just the exhaust from the cars, but then the exhaust from the cars would interact with ultraviolet light to create this, this uh, acidic nastiness in the air as well. So the, so so the the crud went into the air mm-hmm. and uh, was hit by ultraviolet radiation from the sun, mm-hmm. and the chemical reaction happened in the air above your right. head. Yep, yeah. or around your head, even right. Oh, right. <laughs> so you'd be surrounded uh, with this acidic nastiness. So you would get a smog report every day, and that would tell you whether or not you could go outside. Right. Or smog alerts, even. Smog alerts, right? Yes. When it was actually unhealthy to breathe. Which still happens for for different kinds of reasons these days. But yeah, sometimes you'll get, if there's, say, intense wildfires or nearby volcanic eruption, you can get unhealthy air. But but it sounds like back then, it was far more frequent, right? Frequent? It, it was on, an everyday thing. Every day. Right? 
you, yeah. you had to check and see whether or not you could go outside and breathe that day. And I should say, I got to experience some of this firsthand. I'm not old enough to remember experiencing smog in the U.S. firsthand. But mm-hmm. in, uh, let's see, what year was it? 2005, I went to Beijing. And Beijing has similar climate to L.A. It's hot and arid, and the, the air tends to get trapped above it. Um, and also had huge numbers of unregulated cars. So it was a lot like the pre-EPA U.S. And on a hot day in August, my eyes burned. Mm. Whenever I walked outside, my eyes would burn. And that was just a thing. It wasn't a bad day. There wasn't anything wrong. No one was alarmed by this. That's just what it was like in a city full of unregulated cars. It turns out you're not supposed to put your eyeballs in a brown, green, yellow, (laughs) ultraviolet chemistry reaction haze acid. Yeah, but um, you've got no choice in the matter. So, so this is um, so there are places in the world you can go and still experience what unregulated industrialized air is like. I don't know if it's I can't I can't say that it's totally unregulated, but I do not know. I was in Mexico City in the late 90s, I think, Mm -hmm. and also remember getting out of the plane in Mexico City and, you know, the airport smells like an airport, whatever. But I remember getting downtown and all the same kind of thing. Like every time you went outside, there was this smell in the air that I had never smelled before. And it wasn't the food, which was which was awesome, but there was mm-hmm. this other background thing. And I think it was the, the cars. I, I will say at the time, I feel like they were making efforts to turn things around because I remember there were two kinds of taxis. There were all the taxis, by the way, were Volkswagen bugs, which was pretty wild. But some of them were green, painted green. And those, those ah, were sort nice. of trying to be cleaner i guess mm-hmm. yeah yeah so the so the clean enforcing the clean air act is one of the first things that the epa does and it's one of these amazing things that has an has a effect you can literally see right this doesn't always happen with government regulation but the fact that you can see a blue sky in los angeles is a direct result of that we should be fair now we are in new york and we are Trashing Los Angeles, which is a pretty much a that's New York traditional. Yeah, that's the heartbeat of New York, very much. <laughs> <laughs> Trashing. Tra- well, maybe first the Red Sox and then the and then L.A. But it wasn't just Los Angeles, of course, right? Didn't New York? Every city, or th- there were environmental sites all over the country that were just disasters. The lake that's was right. on fire in. Cleveland, is that right? The Great Lakes? Well, actually, yeah. So rivers catching on fire used to be a normal thing. (laughs) I mean, this is kind of a crazy thing to think about. So famously, yeah, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, the Monongahela River. So what would happen is that factories would be placed along the river, and then they would dump their chemical waste into the river. So it would get carried away and there were no rules against this. So no one, no one stopped them. And sometimes those chemicals would catch fire. Now that that's kind of an amazing thing. Think about that. There were no rules, no rules at all against dumping waste into the river that everyone lived along and drank from, I would assume, and swam in and ate the fish from. 
That's right. So yeah, this is the the water that you would draw your drinking water from. Uh, I I remember uh, growing up in Maryland, um, all right, DC area. The Potomac River was horribly polluted. Yeah, I remember that. You could not there 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 would be days where you should not go in it. That that would be the thing. Oh, you wouldn't swim in it. But when <laughs> here's the interesting thing: when you grow up in that, right? When that's how it is from the time you are born onward. I can't say I didn't remember questioning it, thinking, "Well, shouldn't? Why is that?" You just thought that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. And this is the the powerful thing about in this case, environmental activism, but activism in general is really the most important things. You know, people talk about raising awareness. It's this. It's, <laughs> it's getting people to remember that rivers used to catch on fire on a regular basis in major cities. And that was just the thing. And, and we can't say, actually, this is quite, this is a great human achievement. We, we were able to jump just to look at the perspective from now. At that time, no one had ever, A, I assume, no one had ever, like, whatever level pollution was at over the century, if it just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and so pulling it, having a vision that the sky could be blue and the water could be drinkable and swimmable and livable, having that vision and getting the environment cleaned up was a new thing. That had never been done before on that scale. On that scale, right. So, I mean, I want to stress that there's certainly environmental legislation over the years, right? The establishment of the national parks, um, uh, the Clean Food and Drug Act should probably be considered along these same sort of lines. But, uh, but those two come out of groups of people saying, I'll bet we can do better and have our food not be adulterated. That, that being said, it took a very long time, decade, right? So, so what time span? Like, when when was it that, for instance, the Great Lakes became as they are now? Let's say much more clean. Oh, so so, so the EPA is 1970. The Great Lakes are kind of a funny example because they're uh, so big that they're more like the oceans than they are like. Uh, the rivers, right? And the rivers are the the water sources that most of us are are closer to. But uh, water sources, for instance, so the Clean Water Act would be the other big inf- early enforcement uh, of the EPA. It used to be that not only could companies dump chemicals into rivers, but they could dump it into the groundwater as well. Even if you drew your water from a well instead of the river, you would then get the bleed off from the factory in the next county. Ooh. And one of the things that the EPA brings forward is these uh, right-to-know rules in which you can ask, you can demand to know what kind of chemicals the company next door are storing and how they're disposing of it. Right. So it used to be that you would discover, you know, cancer rates skyrocketing in your town, and you think it might be related to the cadmium plant next door. So you would go ask and say, what is that gunk that you're dumping into the groundwater? And they would say, we don't have to tell you. And that's it, right? Company <laughs> secret. Yeah. There's a whole, no- whole nother question of just the, the morality of the, like, 
is it possible? This is a whole other question. We don't have to. It's a rhetorical question mm-hmm. that the 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 heads of these companies dumping their you know toxic waste into areas where citizens live. They you know I suppose we could say most generously they just thought well I'll just do this and it won't be that bad, you know. Well, that's not if they're not. I mean, what what the EPA does is it sets up uh, a way for the environmental impact of corporations to to make corporations beholden to citizenry. Aha! It used to be uh, normally corporations are beholden to their shareholders, and that's it. So you need to have some extra kind of mechanism. Now, now, the if this week from Daniel. Mm-hmm. Daniel says, what if none of these mechanisms existed? What if, what if I suppose, Silent Spring, the, that was a documentary? Uh, well, that was a book. It was a book. And then, yeah. yeah. What, if, what, if, uh, what if those landmark publications never came out or, or came out and were just not seen, you know, just kind of yeah. fell into the, into the stream of media? What if Richard Nixon was a crook? Impossible. Impossible. <laughs> he said he wasn't. So there's a whole other if. What if, yes. what if Richard Nixon really was? A de- yeah. All right. So let's hear. So some of the things that we get are, um, say, smog in major cities gets uh, worse. Yeah, worse every day, and right? Worse so and we've worse. got uh, another forty-nine years of smog increasing every day. Some of that is going to be industrial pollution. Most of that is going to be cars. Uh, and the the population has increased tremendously. Yeah, that's right. Actually, so if we get more unregulated cars on the road, so first off, gas is slightly cheaper. All right. All right. So that might be exciting. You know, yeah. nickel a gallon cheaper. Oh, all right. Okay, so not bad, right? Okay. I would so ozone. This is so we've got two weird things. Ozone is one of these uh, chemicals produced by the interaction of UV and the um, uh, and the uh, exhaust is everywhere, and that's terrible for your eyes and your lungs. So asthma rates will continue increasing. Now, ozone, I remember ozone also being an issue, I feel like, a little bit later in the game. Yep, that's right. We can tackle that in a bit, too, in sort of a reverse way. So yeah. I'll just say I, I have an image of my, my mother using hairspray, which they all, everybody did then, I guess, hairnet or aquanet, mm-hmm. <laughs> spraying it all over. And, and having learned what I learned in school one day, saying, you're destroying the planet. That's right. Yeah, so actually, this is an, an interesting um, thing to, to ponder here. So ozone, if your head is in it, is really bad. Okay, yeah. Uh, you don't want to breathe it in. Ozone is three atoms of oxygen? That's right, yeah. So the oxygen you're breathing right now is O2, and then ozone is O3. But we need it high in the atmosphere to filter out ultraviolet radiation. And as you say, there was, it was realized back in the 1970s, early 80s, that a particular chemical called chlorofluorocarbons would destroy ozone in the upper atmosphere. That is, didn't help with smog at all. But once it gets into the high atmosphere, it destroys the ozone there. 
And what that means is ultraviolet radiation comes pouring in through the atmosphere in much larger quantities than we're used to. There was an ozone hole. That's right. And this is so it was realized that there's this ozone hole and that it was being uh, created by these uh, CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons, which were used, as you say, in hairspray and other aerosols, uh, but more importantly, in air conditioners. So all kinds of refrigeration systems relied on CFCs. So this is one of the great sort of environmental controversies of the late 70s, early 80s uh, was, should we ban these CFCs? And environmental scientists said, we absolutely have to, because if we double the amount of ultraviolet radiation coming in through the atmosphere, people get cataracts, they can't go outside because of sunburn, huge numbers of plants and animals die, it will be a catastrophe. And then industry says, but we need CFCs for your Aquanet, for your hairspray. <laughs> That's, we can't have a bad hair day. Talk about disaster. I mean, it's, it's, it seems so silly in retrospect, but people were very upset about the idea of spray cans being banned. And then people pointing out, again, Los Angeles residents, I don't know why we're spending so much time in L.A. today, but we are, saying you can't get rid of our air conditioners. Yeah. That, well, right? that, it'll, it'll be terrible. That's right. That, but there's a place where the vision thing is really interesting because you can imagine that, oh, so the problem is the stuff we use in air conditioners. And at that time, we have no idea what else we could use in an air conditioner. So therefore, right. air conditioning is going to be gone. I could actually see, you know, and there, there was no handy, I suppose, immediate replacement. Exactly. That had to be right. developed. It was not at all clear. Right. And I should say, same with leaded gasoline. And many people say, you can't ban leaded gasoline. What else are we going to use? But CFCs do get banned. And somehow, we still have hairspray. <laughs> How could this be? But in this horrific, apocalyptic future of Daniel's, uh, CFCs no... are still everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, right. Right. Hairspray, the hair, the spray deodorant, mm -hmm. the all the other Lysol, <laughs> which I guess yeah. we we still have, but they're they're different, manufactured differently. And everything is here's what's interesting is that at that time they would have had projections of how bad the planet's going to be if we don't stop this, if we don't start cleaning things up. Right. I wonder if actually looking at it now that those it would have been worse or whatever whatever it is it's it's like it, it, what daniel's asking is saying it, what daniel's saying is all those images that would have been presented of of this is what happens if we don't stop this problem now by the year 2019 the planet is going to look like and now my image of this is if anyone has seen the blade runner 2049 Oh uh, yeah, sequel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, there's all that the scenes in um, like Las Vegas and stuff where it's just or everywhere they go outside the cities, for instance, it's that orange haze. It looks like Venus or something. Yeah, that's not a bad analogy, actually. Yeah. Uh, but let's say yeah. So those predictions of the ozone layer being destroyed come true. So now we've got way more UV every day. 
So that's, uh, so as I mentioned, cataracts, cataract rates will increase dramatically. So lots of people actually going blind mm. at relatively young ages. And cataracts is like a, a film that covers Yeah, you get eyes. this whitish film over your eyes. Nowadays, generally corrected with surgery. It has ultraviolet rays cause that. Yeah. Yeah. But probably more importantly is that uh, everybody will get sunburned if they spend any time outside. So you need to wear sunscreen uh, and a hat and full body clothes when you walk to the store. Now, this seems to be the case now, too. Is this there's a there's a lot of alarm about. That's right. I think I think one of the side effects of those on whole debate was that people became aware of the dangers of UV radiation generally. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you remember back in the day, SPF was like two. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, or 10 would have been a lot. Right. And now 10 is very low and 50 is very high. So along with skin cancer, along with sunburn, you get skin cancer. So I'd say tripling of skin cancer rates. Whoa. So people are bl- far more people are going blind. Mm-hmm. Far more people have skin cancer. Far more people have asthma, you were saying? Yeah, that's right. Because the, the air pollution uh, is going to get worse and worse as well. And as is often the case, it is poor people and marginalized people that will suffer the most. Mm. Because they're the ones who live in the inner city and near highways and such. So, so actually, sadly, you could you could look at places in the world that have had this occur. Uh, it occurs to me, for instance, yeah. I, I know, I guess, in India and in Bangladesh, and I don't know where else. Where, where were some of the worst uh, polluted? Well, like in China, you were saying there's areas mm-hmm. where just um, essentially the developing world places that are more concerned with industrial uh, production than environmental production. Oh, okay. So then, just to be clear, those countries aren't experiencing this apocalyptic scenario we're talking about now where we were already a, already at the world's leading industrial pollution rate. Mm-hmm. These developing countries, they're, they're bad, but they are maybe, you could say, where we were before we changed. Or Yeah, that's right. And I say this is, this is often a debate about global environmental agreements is countries like the United States that are already developed say, well, everybody's got to cut back on CO2 emissions. And then someplace like Bangladesh says, but if we cut back on CO2 emissions, then we cripple our economy and we're screwed. We're, we're going to stay an undeveloped country forever. So there's often an argument that you need to have this kind of equitability calculation that global environmental uh, agreements should fall, mo- the burden should fall most heavily on already industrialized countries. So the question of what's fair there turns out to be difficult. Or And does capitalism demand a pollution phase? That's right. And that would be an argument you could make. But I should say we've actually, uh, one of the things the EPA does over the last 49 years is resolve some of those arguments within the United States. So those same questions happened here back in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. So you may remember the era of acid rain. Yep. Yeah, that's right. That was, by the way, not a music genre. <laughs> that was acid jazz, which is... But surely there was a band out there called Acid Rain. 
Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I want to stress first off that some people think of acid rain as like you're standing outside in the rain and your skin melts off. That's not the case. Ah, that's not acid rain. It's not that bad. Not that bad. (laughs) Rather, what was happening was huge swaths of forest, say, in New Hampshire would be dying off because the rain was acidic and that was enough to ruin sort of the delicate biochemistry of these areas. So you'd get whole lakes where nothing could live. You get these giant forests dying. And it turns out that the acid rain in New Hampshire was caused by industry in Ohio. So New Hampshire goes to Ohio and says, please stop doing this. And Ohio says, well, first off, we can't because that's our economy. And second off, we're fine. Why should we change anything? Right. Put up an umbrella, New Hampshire. Yeah, that's right. So Ohio says what happens beyond our borders is not our concern. Although then Ohio, was Ohio getting dumped on by somebody else? No, they were in pretty good shape. Okay. Actually. Right. That's usually how that goes. Right. So this happens, it turns out this happens a lot with environmental things, that the impact falls elsewhere from the benefit. The Ohioans get the economic benefit. The New Hampshireans pay the environmental cost. And, and you can see this is, this is part of the growth of understanding how connected we are. Yeah, exactly. And that's why you need a federal agency like the EPA, because then the EPA becomes the, the group that balances out this problem that tells Ohio, we're looking out for everybody. We know you're looking out for yourselves, but we now need to, to level that environmental impact. And for those outside the U.S., federal means national government. Yes, that's right. As opposed to the states, mm-hmm. each individual yeah. state government. Or, for instance, another thing that EPA does is the so-called Superfund, which cleans up these highly polluted sites. So it used to be that if your town had a that cadmium factory in it and there were giant piles of toxic chemicals, even if that company went out of business or left town or stopped producing, all those toxic chemicals are still there. So your town suddenly has to clean that up. That's impossible. This is a fantastically expensive enterprise. So what the Superfund does is pool national resources to help clean up these local sites. And I must say, I, uh, living here in North Brooklyn, Williamsburg area, actually Brooklyn all over, there are, this is some of the most polluted and horrifically, you know, poisonous land in the country, I believe. Uh, Particularly the Gowanus Canal was one thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Also, the, uh, there's a thing called Newtown Creek, which is like an inlet off the East River. It kind of comes into, uh into Brooklyn, divides Brooklyn and Queens, a creek. And there was a tanker, an oil tanker that wrecked there in, I feel like it was the 60s or something. The tanker is still at the bottom of the creek. This creek is like a a fairly wide mini river, but uh, the tanker is still at the bottom and still leaking oil. You can go there. Did you know that? You can go there. And now, as we've done with, you know, a lot of the a lot of the industrial areas are slowly being turned into beautiful parks. You can go sit in the beautiful park on Newtown Creek and watch the oil bubble up <laughs> from the <laughs> bottom. So there are still a number of sites over here in Williamsburg. In fact, there's a lot of signs as all kinds of new construction tearing down old factories and old warehouses and stuff. And they have signs that say EPA Brownfield 
program or something like oh, that. Yeah, which right. I, mm-hmm. it, I guess it's like Superfund. <laughs> it just sounds. It's almost like we just gave up. It's just not it's even. It's a contaminated super- site, right? Yeah. As I first off, so the EPA not only helps clean those, has been helping clean those up, right? So I should say, Gowanus is now actually kind of a nice area. It is. It's right. It's Don't go ex- swimming in the canal still, um, but it used to be a punchline. That's right. right. It was so nasty. Yeah. Um, and now you can actually go there. Yeah. And I have a friend, when I moved here in 1990, early 90s, a friend of mine made a documentary uh, about the Gowanus at that point. And the vision, again, the vision thing, the local residents there said, mm-hmm. you know, we can clean this up. This should be a beautiful place. We have water. This could be like outdoor markets and restaurants. And everybody laughed at that, of course. And amazingly, yeah. that is now coming true 25 years later. Yeah, and I should say that's the time scale, right? Cleaning up a toxic site is a decades-long project. So, and this is so again, this is an interesting and an important aspect of things that the EPA is a bureaucracy, which is normally a bad word. But what we mean by bureaucracy is the the people who actually do the stuff in the EPA are not elected officials. They are professionals who spend years of their life developing skills and then working on projects. So that's important because if, if everyone in the EPA was re-elect, had to be reelected every four years, uh, the only projects they could do were be things that were like four years long. And it, basically the agency would be a joke. That's right. They would, they would do nothing. Instead, they can do things like, okay, this is our 30-year plan to clean up the Love Canal. Yes, Love Canal. Another, mm-hmm. I actually have a family from up that up that's near Buffalo, right? Yeah, yeah, a place where you can. I don't know what the status of it is now, but it wasn't maybe it was ten years ago? I was driving through there, and still, it's like no one. Like the house, they're all abandoned houses. That's right. It is still not good. Wow. But it will be so. That's so Love Canal. For those of you who are too young to remember this was a, uh, a site that, uh, a town that turned out to be built on one of these toxic disposal sites. I mean, all sorts of terrible cancers and diseases were being generated by this. And the publicity around that was one of the sort of critical moments to get people supporting things like the EPA. So now instead of Love Canal being kind of a singular event, imagine that we had 49 years of that sort of thing just being normal. That's what I think, that, that think of any of the worst pollution sites you've ever heard of or ho- hopefully have not had the misfortune to live in and multiply that, I would think, ex- exponentially that mm-hmm. they would have grown, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it would. Pr- I, my guess would be it would track environmental growth pretty closely. Yeah, yeah. And So whatever uh, the GNP was in 1969 versus now. So disease is out of control. Now the one, the, the the elephant in the room that didn't even exist back then, it wasn't certainly wasn't part of the discussions that I remember, is climate change, global warming. Yeah, that right. kind of came out of I would say come, came out of nowhere, but it was like it was bad enough. It seemed like we were on top of things. Mm-hmm. Actually, I would say that the, the pollution really seemed to be cl- things were getting cleaned up, and then Al Gore, this politician, comes out and says, "Oh, by the way, the no, no. The entire planet is still falling apart. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still killing the planet. Yeah, so the, cl- the relationship with climate change in the EPA is an interesting one. So uh, climate change as a problem has been, scientists have been aware of this since the 70s. 
Okay, so Carl Sagan used to complain about this, right? Oh, I didn't know. Uh-huh. Yeah, we think of it as a modern thing, thanks to people like Al Gore, who's kind of bring it to prominence. But scientists have been aware of the problem. One of the difficulties, though, is whether or not the EPA, because the EPA was founded to do things like fix the Love Canal and prevent rivers from bursting into flames, right? So their model is industrial pollution, uh, that literally, you know, a green goop in your backyard. Really? <laughs> right? they, they, want to, they want to make that not happen anymore. Yeah. But carbon dioxide, it's not quite obvious that that's a pollutant in the same sense as the cadmium dioxide in your backyard. You touch the cadmium dioxide and you die. Very clear. Whereas right. trees make carbon dioxide. Exactly, right. Or, so or they can, take in carbon dioxide. You can make yeah. this, this hand-wavy thing where you say, well, carbon dioxide is just a natural part of the, the cycle of life. So it can't be an industrial pollutant because like you and I are producing carbon dioxide right now. I know. Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the idea that the EPA would come in and, you know, fine you for breathing like that doesn't seem that there's something weird about that. Right. So it actually isn't until seven, eight years ago that uh, the EPA is allowed to classify greenhouse gases as industrial pollutants. So there was there was something basically yeah we didn't think of it as pollution because it wasn't as visible yeah exactly. it's literally not visible <laughs> right. uh, yeah um, and the effects are different right you can't go you know you could go to Love Canal and point to the the toxic waste storage sites that are leaking and you can't really do that with greenhouse gases the same way so, I guess so greenhouse gases is bad for the planet but not directly for people uh that's right it's indirectly bad for us right so it's kind of like the acid rain problem again where you need to you need to solve the problem on a large scale so i suspect actually climate change where we are with climate change would not be much different today than there with or without the epa right and if we're saying that that also what what goes hand in hand with daniel's uh what the if of what if there was no EPA? It also the the deeper thing that would have happened in that scenario is that people did not become aware, or for whatever reason they people were disempowered, and the, you know the companies, were, the government was just government or companies or both were just much more ruthless in their uh, wanting to pollute, and actually then probably would have you know messed with the news and you know, publicity to sort of keep people, well, they, they kind of would have disinformation, dis, miseducation uh, programs, which kind of happens now too, right? It's like, we don't want people to know about that, so we'll get them confused about it. Yeah. So the pollution grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. Suddenly, the oceans are rising. I mean, that's what's kind of interesting, that global, that if regular pollution, if news and information and education about regular chemical pollution, whatever, was um, if people weren't paying attention to that or weren't able to mobilize on that, then this global warming thing comes and hits you in the back of the head. Right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. It's Just like, as everything whoa. else, along with the cancer and the asthma um, and the, yeah. everything else, um, then suddenly the sea levels rise and New York City is flooded. 
Um, and I should say, you, you mentioned this, these sort of disinformation campaigns. So there's a, we, we associate them nowadays with climate change, but there's a long history of um, these kind of disinformation campaigns against environmental issues. And if you're interested in that, I heartily recommend uh, the book called The Merchants of Doubt by Naomi Oreskes and Eric Conway um, that documents the very long history of these sorts of efforts. And also how it's it, it's weird. There's like these half dozen people kind of behind all of these disinformation campaigns, um, even though it seems like it must be millions. Right. The lobbyists. Um, so, lobbyists. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I want to toss something else um, into the mix. So yes. we've got, after 49 years without the EPA, um, we've got lots of uh, uh, disease, dirty drinking water, rivers on fire. Um, but I would like to propose a, a weird... Um, addendum, which is crime ah, is super high. I thought okay. you were going to say so, Godzilla. <laughs> oh, I thought you wish. Great. Uh, no, so th this is a little more speculative than um, things like cancer rates. Right. So the, again, those of you who are old enough will remember that crime used to be a, a the, the, in the 70s, there's sort of this huge crime wave that just seemed absolutely terrifying, and it seemed like it was never going to go away. And I sh and then it kind of disappeared in the early 90s, okay? Um, and this is one of the great sociological mysteries of the United States, yeah. is why did crime suddenly drop? So there's lots of theories out there. You know, was it, was it kind of policing methods, different kinds of social structures? Um, but my favorite explanation actually has to do with the EPA, is that the EPA fixed the crime problem. Whoa. And here's how that goes. So back when cars burned leaded gasoline, there was huge amounts of lead in the air. And lead poisoning was rampant. Okay, everybody got a little lead poisoning. Whoa. Um, would you like to guess what one of the symptoms of lead poisoning is? Insanity. Violent behavior. Ah, oh, really? Yep. Whoa. So one might point out that as soon as we stopped pumping lead into the air, violent behavior drops within a generation. That is, people who get to grow up not breathing lead are much less violent than the previous generation. Really? So, so this is this is an outlier, though. You're saying this idea. Because well, I'm saying this this is this is a very difficult thing to prove, right? Oh, okay. um, yeah. Because human violence and crime is so multifactorial, right? So many things factor into it that it's hard to tell exactly. Right. But it seems to me uh, an, an interesting uh, connection <laughs> that as soon as we stop pumping violence-enhancing chemicals into the air, violence goes down. Is that called? It's like the Mad Hatter. Hypothesis. Uh, precisely the same, right? So hatters used to use um, lead to stiffen felt to make hats. Ah. So, and wasn't uh, there hatters, mercury or something? In there's the... mercury as well, yeah. So they'd get heavy metal poisoning <laughs> um, and then go crazy, right? So that's yeah. why you say mad as a hatter. Um, Isaac Newton gets um, heavy metal poisoning from doing experiments with lead and mercury. Oh. And as soon as his friends manage to convince him to stop doing experiments with lead and mercury, he calms down again. Ah, right. so there are stories of him being a legendary jerk. Some of that may have had to do with, yeah, it's his lead poisoning. Wow. Um, so I would like to propose that in addition to rivers on fire and high cancer rates, crime rates continue to rise uh, over the last 49 years as well. Yeah. So instead of New York being this kind of actually this really quiet, bucolic city these yeah. days yeah. that's totally safe, you know, I let my daughters ride the subway. 
uh, by themselves. Right. Um, back in 1980, inconceivable. Right. In fact, that's uh, the image of New York. I wonder around the world. I feel like it's still probably. It's still that old one. So like yeah. when my in-laws come to, to visit, they remember the New York City of the 1970s, right? The kind of Charles Bronson Death Wish era. Yeah, uh, made for awesome movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> so my in-laws are terrified to go outside yeah. um, when they come visit the city because that's what they think of. They think of the pre-EPA New York City. Well, I said, there's another hypothesis there, which is that uh, because of that whole 70s um, what they call Fort Apache, the Bronx era. Yep. Taking exactly. a Pelham one, two, three. I could go on and on. Um, Dirty Harry is he? He's in New York. Uh, he's in San Francisco. Oh, he's in San era. Francisco. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, anyway, um, because of that, uh, people are scared now. So so the losers who come to visit stay inside. Yeah. <laughs> they can't get attacked. The rest of us are, you know, we know all the rules. No eye contact. And uh, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so New York's a different kind of. The place, and I say all the major cities, right? So right. the the lead equal the leaded gasoline equals violence hypothesis also explains why violence is, is sort of localized to cities is because that's where the air pollution is bad, right? And actually, but even without going to that, uh, the lead poisoning thing is like, well, the cities were so polluted too. I mean, there there was uh, one of the reasons I suppose the suburbs were so attractive. And that's where a lot of people, the so-called white flight, mm -hmm. those who could fled the cities and bought houses in the suburbs and then gave birth to people like me, uh, yeah. that, you know, th another factor in that is like, well, yeah, yeah. you don't that's right. you, you want to go live someplace where the air is clean. Yeah. It's a very straightforward kind of thing, right? Yeah. And if you're rich enough to do that, you do it. And if you're not, if you're poor, you stay in the city um, and your children get lead poisoning and cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Wow. So, um, so, so basically, I, I can imagine that basically the the, the, the the ultimate tidal wave here that happens is the populace becomes so diseased, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, the, the, the environment is so poisonous and the people are so diseased, they're perhaps insane, violent, or just weak and dying. Mm -hmm. And they there would be a tipping point where there's no longer the ability to organize and fight back well that's yeah so if um it's not an accident that you know the mid late 70s has all of this apocalyptic fiction and apocalyptic sci-fi yeah um is because uh you could see it all around you right it seemed like every place was going to be love like love canal every place was going to be like inner city new york um every place was going to be unbreathable like los angeles yeah. Um, and as you say, it's an enormous gap, uh, widening gap between the rich and poor. because They're living in different places. Um, uh, it's a lot harder to succeed economically when you're riddled with cancer and asthma and lead poisoning. Right. right? right. Um, so so I don't know. You go back if uh, maybe uh, if you want to know what life would be like without the EPA, go back and watch, as you say, Blade Runner again yeah um or you know i was thinking clockwork in clockwork orange clockwork orange sure which is a okay. little bit abstract and it's, i can't say it's about the environment necessarily but i could imagine that the crazed gangs uh, but the they same were kind of they had lead poisoning Alex, yeah, the same, Alex, that's Alex, right it's the same kind of dystopian uh future that people are thinking about at the time yeah um even um uh, what was the charlton heston movie with soylent green 
Silent Green. Was it just called Silent Green? Yes. Is that the title of the I movie? I think so. Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Um, so that's thinking about overpopulation, but yep. that was considered to be a, but that's the, the, the same kind of environmental frame um, right. that people are thinking about. Right. Yeah. And it's, you can look at all that stuff and there's no global warming. Mm-hmm. None of that. In fact, there was, uh, I remember, we talked about this in our global warming episodes in the past. What I remember is that the Ice Age was going to come back. We were overdue. That's what they said on In Search Of. Oh, right. Yeah. So I should say In Search Of, maybe not the best source for reliable <laughs> scientific information. And maybe that was part of the problem. Yeah. That was our go-to source, In Search mm-hmm. Of. With Leonard Nimoy was the narrator, so it had to be true. It had to be true. Yeah. And logical. And logical. Well, Daniel, thank you for this. This See, this is an interesting one because, uh, as I felt it might, it actually it gave us both a horrific vision and a cautionary tale. And also tremendous appreciation for what's happening. And, and and I just we have to just touch on just at the end, we have to say that currently the EPA is not acting like it did. Is that right? Like is That's it right. Po- Un- uh, under siege, one might say. Under siege. Not we haven't yet undone all the work, but it could happen, theoretically. If somebody turned up in other words, what holds what keeps the air clean is all of these regulations. You can't just stop. If you stop having that, theoretically, the pollution will come back like Godzilla. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's, um, you know, so we, uh, bury, to borrow the Harry Potter term requires constant vigilance. Ah. Right. Ah. Um, is uh, these things happen behind the scenes, right? It's the nature of environmental problems that they are sometimes easy to not see. And they t- they happen over long periods of time and over large geographic areas. So what we need are professionals who can range across, you know, an entire nation, an entire continent, uh, and can have long attention spans. Yeah, yeah, or or uh, allegiance to laws that were written in the past. <laughs> Say, uh, yes, that maybe would I'll nice. still follow that rule that was written in the seventies. So uh, I I do want to hear. What we, I know we have listeners all over the world. Uh, I'd like to know what, what's been your experience in your area of uh, the United States or other countries around the world, and uh, what has your government done or done not done, and can't help but put out a little tip there. To, it's another reminder to all of us to sort of go to our local government, local and national government websites and just check in on what they're doing and see if uh, they need some help yeah. Keep, yeah. Keeping, <laughs> keeping our world clean so thank you thank you for this uh fresh now let's 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 turn on the aerators uh the that do that are, don't harm the ozone layer they're environmentally safe fresh forest air being pumped into your rooms now you breathe it in ah oh, no more acid rain no more what what was the green goop was green goop actually found? In oh, people? I was talking about cadmium dioxide. I don't know actually what actually what color cadmium dioxide oh, okay. is. Yeah, sorry, yeah. but no, I bet, I'm sure green goop was found. Many, yeah. in my in my um, elementary school, it was pretty much what they served on Thursday. <laughs> Probably uh, un- uncomfortably close to the truth. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Daniel Munline, wherever you are in, I believe the United States or the world, Daniel Munline, thank you so much for this fantastic idea and and you really got us you know sometimes we go off in space and you brought us back to earth and said hey Mm -hmm. clean up your own house back Uh, to brooklyn yeah yeah exactly uh 
so I will get in touch with you, Daniel, and we'll get your address. And we are going to send you and any of you who are listening who are saying, I have questions. Uh, note that your questions don't, you know, go back and look at the other episodes. You can see somehow, uh, the, the, don't be afraid that your question is too big or too broad or too uh, abstract or something like that. We'll we'll dive into any green goop idea. So uh, Daniel is going to receive a special gift in gratitude, a finger puppet of a scientist or science fiction character. Perhaps I, w- I will look to see if there's an environmental activist or environmental Oh, yeah. Someone related to those issues. We'll look and see. Um, and maybe, you know, I might send you like a Chia pet or something. If you don't know <laughs> what that is, look it up. It would be appropriate. Uh, and uh, your finger puppet, by the way, is going to be a gift um, from us to you. It comes from the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. Philosophersguild.com is their website. Next week, who knows what will happen? We've cleaned up the earth, so I think we might just leave that as it is. For the moment, anyway, yeah. For the moment. You have been spared, planet Earth. You're welcome. But whatever happens, it could be anywhere in the universe. It might even affect the entire universe itself. If you go to whattheif.com, you can see all the horrors we have wreaked. And wonders. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, we've destroyed a lot more than just the Earth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've, we pulled apart atoms. Uh, yeah, who knows what. So tell us what you want to do to the universe and we'll do it. And when we do, we will look upon our work and the magnificent wonder that stares back at us, whether it be chaos or perfection. And we will scream, What, what the... the-